Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Uh, we can never have too high a view of God. Let that sink in for a moment. Like We will never overestimate God's abilities. We will never overestimate God's power and authority. We will never have a too high a view of God. Um, in fact, we will always have too, uh, an inferior view of God because we are feeble, finite human beings, and he is an infinite, all-powerful, almighty God. Um, so we will never have too high a view of God. We can never put too much hope and too much faith and too much trust in God. Um, so let that sink in and guide our thoughts and our minds this morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I mean Acts chapter 5 this morning. At Freedom Fellowship, we are a family of faith living for eternity today. Uh, and we are continuing to, to look through the book of Acts to, to see exactly what it is that God is calling us to be. Exactly how it is God is calling us to think. Exactly how it is God is calling us to act. As a church, um, I hope our time in Acts has been helpful for you. It's been helpful for me, especially this morning, this text, Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 16, as we were going to be this morning. And I'll be honest, this text was uh, challenging for me. Um, it is one that, that challenged me, and, and, but it was also an encouragement to me. And I hope uh, by the, the power of God and by his grace that it will be a challenge to you and an encouragement to you as well. Uh, Join with me in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the church, multitudes of both men and women, so that e they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is challenging, your word is convicting, it, it, it forces us to to notice and recognize the areas where we fall short. It forces us to, to see the ways that we do not think rightly of you, where we have improper or uh, imperfect views. And God, you challenge us to look more like you. It trains us and teaches us to, to grow into the image of Jesus. It, it trains us and teaches us to go out and to live according to your word. Father, I pray this morning that we would all have ears to hear, and a heart that is ready and longing to apply your word to our lives. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, going to the moon was an impressive human feat. Right? We all know uh, the, J the famous JFK line uttered in, uh, in 1960. You know, we choose to go to the moon and do other things in this decade, not because they're easy, but because they're hard, right? That is an inspiring speech. Like what, a, what a great line. And uh, despite what some conspiracy theorists might tell you, uh, on July 20th, 1969, we landed a man on the moon. Uh, so in less than a decade, uh, a team of scientists came together and they launched a man into space and landed him on the moon. Now think about, for just a second, how crazy that is. Like for just a second, how impressive a feat of human ingenuity that is. 
right? We strapped a man to a rocket and launched him into space. And then we landed that man on the rock that fills our night sky. And then we brought him home, right? That's impressive. That is a, a feat of ingenuity. And we did it all with pre-1970s era technology, right? That is, that is an impressive feat of human ingenuity. What we realize is that a group of scientists came together and astronauts came together. They put their minds together and they accomplished some seemingly impossible tasks. Uh, it really was a, a tremendous feat of human ingenuity. Uh, I believe in fear that so many of us view the church as a feat of human ingenuity. Like when we think about church, when we think about church growth, what we think about is man's uh, attempts to do something incredible. Like when we talk about church growth, when we, when we talk about what happens here on a Sunday morning and what happens here weekly and yearly when we compare our church to other churches, the prevailing predominant idea is that church is a matter of human ingenuity. It's a matter of a man-made designs. Right? If we want to grow, we just need to have the right systems and processes in place. We need to market ourselves well. We need to have the right vision, a clear and compelling vision in place. And, and don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad. But what that tells me is that we view the church as a feat of human ingenuity. We view success and growth of a church as this man-made machine. Well, in the early church... For those outside of the early church, they see this, this explosion of Christianity onto the scene. It probably would have been easy for them to also think that that was some, human, that some feat of human ingenuity. Right? If you're outside of the church and you see Christianity come onto the scene and just explode, this new sect of Judaism comes onto the scene and then rapidly grows, they probably look at it as an outsider and think those apostles really got something going. Right? This is a, a group of people who came together and they started this religion and then they marketed it really well and then it grew. Right? This is a group of people who, who were dissatisfied with the status quo. They were dissatisfied with the other religious options for their day and so they started something new and their message really resonated with people. Like we could, if, if Christianity started today, that's a line we would probably hear on the news. Right? <laughs> like, well, Christianity, that, their message is really resonating with people right now. Like this... That's exactly what people outside of the church probably thought about the early church, that Christianity and the growth of the church was just this, this feat of human ingenuity. Right? It's some clever marketing, it's, and it grew and expanded and rapidly, uh, rapidly filled up the Mediterranean because some humans were really clever and really good leaders. But what we see in this passage in Acts chapter 5 and what Luke is combating is the fact that the church isn't a man-made machine. The church isn't some engine created by mankind. The church is a movement of God. And the church isn't some structure that's set up uh, full of systems and processes that get things done. The church is the people of God. So as the church and as the people of God, we don't need to have as our goal a beautiful, well-oiled engine that is getting a lot of things done and accomplishing a lot with human ingenuity. As the people of God, we need to seek a movement of God. 
say that again. As the people of God, we need to seek a movement of God. In this passage in Acts chapter 5, Luke is going to show us that the church itself is a movement of God. And we're going to see a couple of marks of a movement of God, a couple key identifying factors of a movement of God that will help us understand whether we are participating in a movement of God or if we're just settling for a church that's a man-made machine. The first thing we're going to see in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, the first thing we're going to see is that the church and a movement of God is eternally impactful. A movement of God is eternally impactful. Look with me in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. So let me explain what's going on here in this text. The apostles have gathered together in the temple, in Solomon's portico. So now the way the temple was designed is it was designed in layers. And the further in you got, the more exclusive it became, right? So there's the outer court where only Jews could enter. And then you go inside the court, the, the next court, and only men can enter there. Then you go inside the next one and only priests could enter there. You get the picture. It becomes more and more exclusive as you go inside. Solomon's portico was located in the outer court. So it's the most populated area, right? This is the, the area where the, most of the Jews would congregate and gather. Men and women could be there. Uh, and so this is where most people were. This is where the apostles were gathered. They were gathered together in Solomon's portico, and it says in verse, thir- excuse me, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. Now, the, the Greek in this text is notoriously difficult and really ambiguous, but, but more than likely what this is talking about is the rest of the Christians. Because remember, just a few moments before, a few, uh, a few days before, a few chapters before this, in Acts, the, the apostles and the Christians were threatened with persecution if they ever spoke of the name of Jesus. And so the rest of the Christians are probably thinking that going to the temple to proclaim the name of Jesus probably isn't the best course of action. So they're off evangelizing in a more private uh, setting, a way that's probably a little more out of the, the purview of the religious leaders who want to kill them. Uh, but the apostles are gathered together in Solomon's portico here uh, in the outer gate. And notice that they're not gathered in the most populated area they can think of so they can, be, so they can use the best marketing techniques they can come up with and win people to Jesus. Like, look what's happening with the apostles as they're gathered in Solomon's portico. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Miracles are happening. God is performing miracles at the hands of the apostles. Now, if the apostles were gathered together in Solomon's portico and they broke out a PowerPoint presentation on the pros and cons of becoming a Christian and then they got a bunch of people to sign a box saying they would make a decision, we would be left wondering whether they really succeeded because of God's power or because of their own ingenuity. We would be left wondering if Christianity really was this movement of God or if it was just another feat of human creativity. But Luke leaves no doubt that Christianity is a movement of God because they're not gathered with a PowerPoint presentation and pieces of paper that say, check here if you want to follow Jesus. They are gathered performing miracles that only God can do. And God is moving 
among the apostles. God was moving among the early church, and he was doing that to make a statement. That this is my church. That Christianity is something that I, God, have founded and created. This isn't just another religious option in the buffet of man-made religions. This isn't just another way that you can possibly spend your time. This isn't just another well-oiled, man-made machine that's a money grab. Right? At the end of the day, Christianity and the early church is a movement of God. And God is proving that in the way that he is performing miracles to the hands of the apostles. Our very existence as a local church is a continuation of the movement of God all the way out into Roanoke, Texas. But the fact that we exist is a continuation of that movement that God started 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and has expanded out all across the world. The fact that we exist as a church is a continuation of the movement of God. And we as a church should desire to continue to participate and experience a, a movement of God. We need to desire to continue to experience and to participate in a movement of God in our church and in the community. Because the church isn't some organization. This is just a company. It's the people of God propelled by the power of God. If you're reading this in the early church, uh, outside of the early church, if, you, if you're reading this, you get a hand, you get a copy of Luke's book of Acts, and you're wondering about these Christians, what you see is that this Christianity, this, this church is different than everything else in the world. Because it isn't a man-made machine. And it isn't some well-oiled engine that men have come up with. It's a movement of God. We as a church need to continue to seek that movement, and we don't need to settle for some man-made machine called church. What we see in, uh, in Acts chapter 5 is when God moves, people notice. <laughs> right? When God is on the move, people are noticing. Look with me in verse 13. None of the other Christians dared join the apostles in the temple, but the people held them in high esteem. Everyone else who's interacting with the apostles, everybody who's, who's interacting with the early church holds the Christians, the apostles, with a really high esteem. I mean, there's a reason that the, the religious leaders can't persecute and can't kill the Christians at this point. Because the rest of the people in the temple hold them in really high esteem. They're noticing that God is moving in the church. Look what happens in verse 15. They even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So what's happening is the people are recognizing that this, this is a movement of God, and God is moving through the apostles. God is acting through his apostles, through the Christians, through the early church. And they're responding to that. They're taking note of it. And they're bringing their people. Uh, they, they notice it so much that they're bringing their people just so that Peter's shadow can come across them and they could be healed. Like that's how much they're noticing that God is on the move through the apostles and through the early church. When God moves, people pay attention. <laughs> and people notice. It, it, we see that they're bringing in people from all these surrounding villages and towns. 
to be healed because word is spreading. People are noticing that God is moving through the Christians. When God moves, people notice. And they notice because a movement of God is eternally impactful. A movement of God has a real impact on people. And we can see the impact physically in this passage, right? And we can see the, the obvious physical impact that a movement of God is having on people. He's, he's healing people. He's bringing uh, he, an end to diseases. He's casting out demons. There's a, a real physical, tangible uh, element to the movement of God in this specific passage. And we, as I mentioned, God is doing that. God is moving in a really physical way to prove that this is my church. This is my movement. These are my people. So he, we, there's no promise in this text that if God moves through our church, we're going to start seeing healings, we're going to see signs and wonders. And there's no promise there. We can't, we can't extrapolate from this text and say, if we're not seeing miracles, God's not moving among us. You know, We can't say that. But what we can see in this passage is that the movement of God is having a real, tangible, eternal impact on people. They're getting healed. Great. But notice in verse 14 that, the, that Luke is, is primarily concerned with, with highlighting the fact, not that these physical healings are happening, but that an eternal impact is being made. You see in verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And the overflow of that, the, the reaction to that is that people are recognizing that God is moving through the apostles and bringing the sick to be healed. So what's most important is not the fact that they're getting healed physically. It's not the fact that they're being, uh, having their symptoms and ailments relieved. What's most important is that these people are encountering and engaging in the gospel. That for the very first time, these people are experiencing salvation in Jesus. Multitudes of men and women are coming to know Jesus because God is moving in the early church. When God moves, it has an eternal impact. When God moves, it is eternally impactful. We see it happening there in the early church. Now notice, I didn't say that a marker of God's movement is numerical growth. I, I didn't say that when God moves, numbers come. Now a movement of God is usually accompanied by growth numerically. And we see it here in this passage. That a movement of God is accompanied by multitudes coming to know Jesus. And a church that isn't growing, a church that is shrinking, uh, a church that is plateaued is probably not experiencing a movement of God. But numbers do, does not automatically indicate that a movement of God is happening. Because there are unhealthy, broken churches that are growing. <laughs> there are unhealthy, toxic churches that are thriving numerically. Because there are churches that are applying everything that the world has to offer, right? Marketing techniques, uh, excellent programming, uh, a, a, a emotional experiences, the, everything that the world has to offer. And they're applying all of it, and they're seeing their churches grow. But God can be absent from all of that. In those cases, a lot of those churches can settle for a man-made machine that produces numbers. But God is absent from it. Numbers are not inherently 
a picture and a symbol of a movement of God. What's a, what we need to look for and what a, what a movement of God includes is an eternal impact. I think of a church that isn't seeing an eternal impact. Think of a church that, that isn't participating in a movement of God. Think of a church that has settled for a man-made machine of a church. Are they having the same impact that the movement of God is having in this day? Because a church that has settled with just what they can accomplish, are they really having the same impact that they should? Think of our church. If Freedom Fellowship closed down, if we, if we packed it up and called it quits and we never opened our doors again, would anyone in our commu- community know? Would anybody notice that we were gone? And if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is probably no. By and large, most people would, would have zero care in the world that Freedom Fellowship is closed down. You might say, yeah, Brendan, it's because of our size. If we grew, have more people, and we, we became large and we closed down, people would notice. That's true. <laughs> if a megachurch closed down, people would, would notice. People would pay attention. But by and large, if most churches in the United States, if a large portion of churches in the United States closed their doors, their communities would probably have, probably wouldn't notice. They might notice that they were closed. They might miss out on a few programs, but their daily lives would be totally unaffected by the, churches, by the fact that the church had closed down. Because churches that have settled for, for becoming a man-made machine will never have the same eternal impact that a movement of God can have. If we as a church have settled for accomplishing what we can accomplish on our own without the presence of God, we will never have the same eternal impact that we would otherwise have. Man, man can create numerical growth. But God can create a changed life. Man can create church involvement. But God can, can fix people's lives. Man can create morality. God can create revival. Man can, can give families structure and order, but God can reorient families around the gospel and grace. Man can train up pastors and send out missionaries, but God can transform nations. Man can create emotional environments that generate decisions, but God can regenerate and redeem human beings. If we settle for a man-made machine, if we settle to accomplish whatever we can accomplish on our own instead of relying on a movement of God, we will never have the eternal impact that God is calling us to have. Churches that have settled to be a man-made machine can do a lot of good things. They can grow exponentially. They can baptize thousands. They can send up, uh, train up and send out pastors and missionaries. They can plant churches. They can, they can do a lot of really good things. And that's not to say that God can't use those churches and bless that man-made machine with, with salvations and other incredible works. But a church that has settled for being a man-made machine is a church that has given up something greater. 
It's a church that has given up a movement of God with an eternal impact and has settled for something way cheaper and more fleeting. Systems and processes and visions and, and programs, those are all good things. And those are things that we'll work on because we want to organize and orient ourselves around uh, glorifying God. But too many churches are relying on those kind of things to be their keys to success. And they are tweaking their programs, they're tweaking their visions, and they're tweaking their, uh, their systems and processes, thinking that if they can just get those things right, then they will be successful as a church. If they can just tweak those things and fix those things, then their church is going to thrive. And what they've done is they have settled for a church that is a man-made machine and not a church that is experiencing and participating in a movement of God. If we can explain everything that we experience as a church as things that we have done, if we can link it all back to our own abilities, then we're not experiencing a movement of God. We are settling for a church that is a man-made machine. A movement of God has a real, tangible, eternal impact. If we are a church that is experiencing a movement of God, people will take notice. They'll have to. Because their neighborhoods will be filled with people whose lives are different. Alcoholics and addicts will quit their using and will lead lives that, that bring glory and honor to the Lord. Friends and coworkers, neighbors, uncles, parents, children will all come to know Jesus and their whole lives will be oriented completely differently. Instead of pursuing glory and pursuing fame and pursuing money, their whole lives will change and they'll start pursuing the glory of God. If we are a church that is experiencing a movement of God, people will take notice because we will have an eternal impact. We will see lives be changed forever. A movement of God is eternally impactful. Second thing that we see in this text is that a movement of God is one eternally impactful, but a movement of God is gospel focused. I already pointed out in verse 14 that what Luke is most concerned about, and what Luke highlights in verse 14, is the fact that people are getting saved, that people are coming to know Jesus. That's what he is most concerned about. That's what he is. Uh, he has placed as the highest emphasis that then multitudes of people, more than ever, are, are coming to, uh, to know Jesus. They were added to the Lord, both men and women. That's what Luke is celebrating here in this passage, that people are coming to know Jesus. Because a movement of God is focused on and centered around the gospel. Every time that God moves and acts in our world, it's for the purpose of the gospel point out a time in the Bible where God moved, where God did something powerful when God acted, and I'll show you how it directly relates to the gospel. I think of uh, any, uh, any passage where God moved. Think of Genesis when God sent a flood on the world but saved Noah. God was moving to, to do away with wickedness, to put an end to the brokenness in the world, and he was pointing forward to the day when one would come who would fix the brokenness in human hearts. 
Think about when God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through on dry land. God was making a statement that he was calling for himself, naming for himself a people whose job it would be to restore the world. Every Old Testament, not every Old Testament, most Old Testament uh, miracles are, are in line with that idea that God has chosen for himself a people, that those people are supposed to be holy because they're supposed to redeem the world, and ultimately shows that they cannot fulfill that responsibility, but points forward to the one who would from the Israelites, named Jesus, who would restore the world back to what it was supposed to be. Every time God moves and acts in Scripture, it's for the purpose of establishing and expanding the gospel. And that continues to today. And when God moves in the world, it's to establish and expand the gospel message. It's to see people's lives change. It's to see the world, uh, it's to see redemption and restoration in the world. That's what we see when God moves. The movement of God is gospel-focused. So if we as a church want to participate in the movement of God, if we as a church want to experience and participate in a movement of God, we have to be gospel-focused. We have to be focused on the things that God is focused on. Our hearts have to be geared towards the thing that God wants to see, and that's an expansion of the gospel. So we have to want to see people come to know Jesus. We have to desire that God would change our thoughts by his grace. He would change our actions by his grace. He would change the way we interact with each other and interact with the world by his grace. We have to long for the gospel to transform us and to save people's lives. If we are going to be a church that experiences and participates in a movement of God, we have to be a church that is gospel-focused. A church that is focused on numerical growth above all else may see some really good things happen, but they will not experience a movement of God. Because mankind on their own can produce numerical growth. And they are missing out on the, the focus and the attention that God has, which is the gospel, the life-transforming, saving message of the gospel. A church that is focused on social transformation can accomplish that. And they can do a lot of good things towards changing the community and, and alleviating poverty and doing a lot of great work. But they're missing out on something better. And they're missing out on a movement of God because their focus isn't in line with God's focus, which is the transforming nature of the gospel. So if we as a church want to experience the movement of God and be gospel-focused people, when we sing, we need to sing and declare and communicate to one another gospel truths and not just stand there and sing stoically because we feel like singing is something we have to do. When we are, as a church, open up the word of God and study it together, we have to long for God's grace to transform us and not look for knowledge and not look for do's and don'ts and a checklist, but long for God by his grace to transform our lives. When we as a church go out into the workforce, and we go, we go on our daily lives, we are bringing with us the transforming nature of the gospel. And so we serve as, as little pockets of redemption when we go out to work. We create beautiful, meaningful things 
to the world. And more importantly, we are reaching our neighbors and our, uh, our co-workers with the gospel message. That can change their hearts and change their lives. When we interact with our neighbors, the thing that becomes most important is seeing them come to know Jesus. And so we build bridges to them experiencing and accepting the gospel, and we tear down barriers to them accepting the message because we want to see salvation enter their homes. We as a church need to be gospel-focused if we want to experience a movement of God. If we are not a church that is seeing an eternal impact by the things that we do, and if we are not a church that is gospel-focused, then we are a church that is settled for a man-made machine and not a movement of God. My fear is that so many of us can walk through that door every week. We can come in and we can enjoy friendly conversation and we can sit in our chair because we're Baptists and we have our one chair. And we can participate in our rituals and all of the, we can participate in our rituals and the, the habits that we formed by meeting every single week and doing the same things, and then we can leave through those doors and nothing can change. And if we want to see change, my fear is that a lot of us are focused on things that won't ultimately matter in the end. What we have in mind with change is to become a more well-oiled and a shinier engine. And so when we think of change, we think of tweaking the things that can make us more effective and becoming a man-made machine. But what we need to be is a church that is longing for God to move. What we need to be is a church that falls on our knees and begs God to move in our midst and move through us in our community. We need to be a church that is longing for a movement of God and not settling for some man-made machine. This morning, some of you here, what you need most is for God to move in your life first. Some of you here have never placed your faith in Jesus. You've never responded to the gospel. You've never encountered eternal life. And so before you can think about participating in a movement of God, what you need first is for God to move in your own heart to experience eternal life. This morning you have the opportunity to do just that. As we sing, I'm going to be standing right here, and I would love to talk with you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and have God move in your life. We can, we can go right into that room right there, and I can tell you more about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. For everybody else, as we sing, take a moment to bow before the Lord and to tell God that you are done with settling for some man-made machine, a, a church that has systems and processes set up to accomplish things on their own. And that you want and are begging God to use you to move in your life, to move in this church, and to move through this church in the community. That we are tired of having doing good things and, and excited for the eternally impactful things that God can do through us. Do not stand up and sing until you have, uh, until you have stopped settling for something less. Do not stand up and sing until you are ready to proclaim that you want God to move in your heart, and you want God to move in this church, and you want God to move in the surrounding community. Let us be a church that continues to pray for and long for God to move in our midst and through us every single week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the church really is a movement of God. Christianity 
is not something that we have come up with, that, that some clever people have started, but it really is a, a movement of God. I thank you that we're not some organization, we're not some company, we are your people. And so we don't have to, to be creative and come up with all these successful systems and processes, God. We, we need to rely on you. We need to, to long for you to move in power in this church and through this church. God, I pray that we would be a church of people that are ready for you to move. I pray that we would be a church of people that are ready to see the eternal impact you can make in our lives and in our community. I pray that we would be a church that is gospel-focused, that has the, the good news of salvation in Jesus as our focus above everything else in the world. And let's see you move. Pray for those who first and foremost need you to move in their own hearts. And I pray that you would bring salvation to their lives today. And that we as a church would go out and celebrate the good news of the gospel. Move in this church. Move right now, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus.